Clock on a Monday, you know what that means. Yes, sir, Bob, it's time for another exciting episode of Taxi TV Live. This week, we're going to play an exciting round of Ask Michael Anything. Yes! Thank you, band. Thank you, fake audience. Welcome to the big show, everybody. Let me get the chat room open. There it is. And at the top of the list, I see Adriana Lisette, who was going to be the guest this week, but then she got sick. <laughs> Poor kid's got strep throat, so she stayed home in Illinois, Indiana, sorry. Started with an I. It's in the Midwest. That's all I need to know. And uh, so we hope you get better soon. Um, uh, strep throat's a, a bummer, and... Uh, it seems like uh, nothing but the good old Z-Pack, Zithromax, seems to work really well on that. So I do hope you get better, and uh, hopefully you can come out next month and join us. Um, so I was going to do a different show, and then I said, you know, I was looking back through old shows. We haven't done an Ask Michael anything in a really, really, really long time. And I had a bunch of stuff that I've been saving up on kind of a, a list that I add to when I see stuff. And... Uh, so I thought we would just do that this week. I'm also trying out some new lighting, and I'm not sure I like it, but uh, that remains to be seen. It's the least of my problems. So hello, everybody. I see Pauly, Peter Rahill, uh, Kano Beats, Mark Doyle, Gloria Covington, uh, Ken DePotter, Mojo Bone, Robbie Hancock, uh, Toonsmith, uh, Adriana, Mary Band, Jesse Peck, uh, we will write you a song. Anyway, the whole gang is here, and I'm going to jump right into it. Um, how are my audio levels? I think they're good, right? Yeah, there they are. Uh, still recovering from last week's remote with Matt Hurt. I'm telling you, it scares the you-know-what out of me. Uh, every time I do a remote, it's like, what could possibly go wrong? But I thought it went pretty well. And Matt was his usual uh, wonderful self. Uh, just, he's a font of information. And he's so so laid back and so understated. But he's so knowledgeable and so passionate about this stuff and has been very successful because of his work ethic and his talent. So anyway... Um, there's Adriana says, I feel much better than I sound, uh, still getting my voice back. Uh, all right, well, glad you're on the mend. So, uh, I want to mention I've been toying with the idea, and I brought this up. By the way, we do have a uh, taxi TV part of the taxi forum now at forums.taxi.com. I think I mentioned last week or the week before, some of the stuff people are suggesting are great ideas, but we'd need a multi-camera shoot like a remote truck, uh, a sound guy, uh, video editors, a week of post-production to do some of the stuff. And uh, what we do here is more like a radio show or a podcast with one camera, we're looking at you, and uh, one microphone, and that's about it. So we're kind of limited. Uh, I don't really want to you know, turn into a big production because then that's the focus of what we do here at Taxi. This is an adjunct to what we do. Taxi TV help it, helps to elevate our members, make them good enough so that the opportunities we bring them, um, they, they can get hooked up with people because they've got the talent and the know-how. So, uh, 
I, I made a note a few weeks ago about a dating thing, and it's not really a dating thing. It's not like one of those online dating things um, or Oh God! Wish the, uh, Ashley Madison. Can you imagine the people that were using Ashley Madison to cheat, and then the whole database gets hacked and published? <laughs> oh, baby! Not even gonna go there. Anyway, uh, no, we're not talking about that kind of dating here at Taxi. I'm talking about collaborators meeting collaborators. Um, it's just there are so many people that meet each other on the forums I thought it might be a fun exercise to have people send in their music to taxi and we play it on the show and let's say we get through I don't know maybe 10 things in an episode we try and pick two people that would go well together it, it could be um, I'm not thinking so much like I'm an artist and I need a producer so much as I'm thinking these two people, artists, would go together. Their songwriting style, their voices, their whole thing would mesh. Years ago, as I mentioned in one of my recent newsletters, I believe, uh, I was very familiar with taxi member Paul Otten and becoming familiar with a uh, young lady from uh, Vancouver, I believe, named Helen Austin. And I really, really liked them a lot. And I remember having the thought, boy, I should make a point of introducing them at the road rally. And I did, in fact, put them both on the successful member panel because they were both starting to enjoy some success. But what I did, I think, was more important was that I had a little soiree in the presidential suite at the uh, hotel during the road rally on either Friday night or Saturday night and invited seven artists up to the presidential suite, which the hotel very graciously gives me for doing the event every year. And in that suite is a really nice Yamaha 7-4-inch grand um, and enough space that we could do like a little mini concert. And it was really, really special. The people that played were all people that I personally liked, so it was really special for me. I, I picked them. Um, and we had some of the A&R staff from Taxi and I think maybe a couple screeners up there, but uh, in my deepest, darkest recesses of my mind, I really wanted Paul Otten and uh, Helen Austin to get together uh, and go, wow, we should co-write. And they did. And now they're a band called Big Little Lions and they've won the John Lennon Song Contest. I believe they won a Juno Award. Um, they've had tons of nice placements together and, and they're a thing. I mean, not a thing thing, you know, Helen's uh, married and got a kid and Paul, I think, is in a relationship right now, I think. Uh, but they are a band and they're really cool and everybody that knows their music loves them and the people that know them professionally really respect them. So I want to do that again and I want to do it on Taxi TV and I haven't figured out exactly how to do it other than just playing the music and then maybe we find some sort of voting system where we can say yeah that lady and that guy or these two ladies or these two guys or these three people could be the next Crosby, Stills, and Nash. Who knows? But with only 10 things to play, we're going to have to probably filter the stuff in advance and find stuff that we think is in a ball ballpark. I, I don't really know exactly how to work the bugs out of it yet, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to find a way to do it. So keep that in the back of your mind um, and know that that is on the horizon. Uh, and let's jump right into uh, what are... Uh, 
the ask taxi or ask Michael anything. And the first question on this list, which is really long, so I'm going to go really fast, is what are rate record labels looking for these days? It seems like all they want. Oh, this is from Tori Lipsmond. Uh, it seems like all they want is dancey pop songs, and that's not what I do. Should I give up on the idea of pitching record labels if I write rock songs? That, again, is from Tori Lipsman. Well, Tori, um, the question wasn't entirely clear on if you're trying to be an artist and get signed or if you were pitching, if you want to pitch songs. So if you're in the chat room, uh, please let us know. But um, I want you to go look at the charts. Okay, uh, I, I was looking at a billboard the other day, and then I was looking at an iTunes chart. I personally think that for the last year and a half, two years, that we're going through one of the best periods of music that we've gone through in quite some time, even though I am the first to admit that so much of what I hear on the radio uh, is homogenized, dancey pop that's over-compressed and all kind of sounds the same, but there are moments where there are other groups that come to the fore that are really unusual and if there is any sorry i just put powder on right before the show and i feel a sneak <laughs> uh hold on pardon me oh. like a freight train um if there's something that i've personally noticed it's that the blending of musical styles these days is something that I, I think is happening again. Hasn't happened in a while. We've become very compartmentalized as an industry with rock stations, which are almost non-existent nowadays. Pop stations, urban stations, country stations, jazz stations. It used to be back in the 70s, a station would just play almost anything that was good. And uh, it was FM, the, the beginning of FM's rise to dominance. Well, nowadays, everything's compartmentalized, but I hear a lot of crossover. So if you fit in the pop category, but have a rock edge if you can bring something unique about what you're doing rock wise to a pop beat there you've got an opening as an artist if you again if you give almost anything a pop underlayment a track a, a production quality that's pop like um, and then lay other stuff it could be jazz it, it could be um, rock it, it could be Latin there's so many things that you can lay over a pop bass and then once you've done that then think about what would I do with this if I were a DJ I heard something the other day and I can't remember to save my life what it was but um, oh I know what it was <laughs> I was on my way back from flying uh, my remote control planes on Saturday and I heard uh, was owner of the lonely heart by yes remember that uh, I think uh, engineered and produced by Eddie Oford offered offered um, and that was probably the earliest days of samplers uh, things like synclaviers were hot back then and they had these really really cutting edge for the time um, samples jacked into this song that uh, was kind of a prog rock slash pop song with these really like um, strange time signatures as far as how the, the samples were laid in there and it totally made you whip your head around and go, holy crap, that's really different and really cool. 
So that's what I think that you have to do, Tori Lipsman, is think in terms of what you can do with your rock stuff in the context of pop. That way you're playing, making music, either writing songs um, or making music as an artist that is pitchable to labels and labels can pitch it to radio and radio still does count. There are plenty of other ways to hear music nowadays. I know that, but radio does still count. Radio helps build a mass audience. Um, you can do it with YouTube, but it's hard. You've got to really learn the YouTube thing. You can do it with social media, but you got to really learn the social media thing. You got to build a giant audience in order to fill large rooms with people. And that's where you really make the money because you're not going to make it from selling downloads. You're not going to make much money from streaming. You are not going to make that much money from ad revenue unless you're just getting tens of millions of views, maybe even hundreds of millions of views, streams, I mean. Um, but concerts, that's where the big money is made. So that's what I would do if I were you, Tori Lipsman. Okay, now moving on to the second thing. This is from Anthony Siragusa. Okay, Anthony Siragusa wants to know, can you explain music publishing? I don't understand the two parts that each pay 100% and who gets them. Um, why don't they just call it 50-50? Uh, well, Anthony, I got to agree with you on that. So uh, I think we're going to need a visual aid. So let me see. I've got a visual aid that I made earlier when I saw this question because it's really hard to understand. People talk about you get 100% of the writer's share and that you start out with 100% of the publisher's share. Why isn't it just all publishing and you get 50 of this and 50% of that. Um, okay, so this is my visual aid, and there it is. So now I can see you guys through my little eye holes, and you see, there we go, nice and straight, frame it correctly. So over here we have the writer's share. Let's say that you write a song called uh, I Love Taxi, okay? So right now, as the writer of the song, um, you own 100% of this thing, got it? And of that 100%, there is the writer's share and there's the publisher's share. Now, you own 100% of both of those. So, let's say you do a publishing deal with a traditional um, publisher, uh, like, let's say, Warner Chapel Music uh, here in Los Angeles, and they sign you to a... a a deal as a staff writer, which doesn't happen all that much anymore, but let's say that they do. So they're going to do what's called a co-publishing deal. And in that co-publishing deal, the, whoops, wrong finger, wrong hand, they're going to take half of the publisher's share. They're not going to take it. They're going to give you some money um, and buy half of the publisher's share. And then you're going to keep half of the publisher's share and you're going to keep 100%. This is so hard to do. Where's that writer's share? I don't even know which hand. There we go. <laughs> okay, so you keep 100% of the writer's share because you're the writer. And let's forget about the fact that you may split that with some other writers, okay? Uh, let's just leave those other writers out of the picture for the moment. Let's just say that you wrote this all by yourself. So, now you get 100% of the writer's share. <laughs> And the publisher gets 50% of the publisher's share because they bought it. And you get, dear God, how do I do this? 
<laughs> you get the other 50%. So what do you have? You have three quarters of the money coming to you. Now, how do you get paid for that? You get paid for that when it gets synchronized on a record. Um, you get paid for that when it gets synchronized on a TV show. And you get a performance royalty when it gets played on a TV show or on a radio station. So you would be basically making 70, not basically, you'd be making 75 cents on the dollar. Um, but you can see when you go back to the original pie chart, that there's 100% of the writer's share and 100% of the publisher's share. And let me tell you, this is not as easy as it looks. Although these props are very high tech, it's really hard to do this uh, backwards. So hopefully that clears it up. Um, boy, if that doesn't clear it up, I don't know what could. But I do want to recommend some books because you know what? This is basic music business 101 and everybody should know this stuff. So, and I'm not presenting these in any order of preference, they just came off my shelf this way. Um, okay, Business Basics for Musicians by Bobby Borg. Bobby's been on the show several times. Business Basics for Musicians by Bobby Borg. This book has a good section on publishing. You should know about publishing. This book is a classic. I think everybody has this one or should have it. All You Need to Know About the Music Business by Donald S. Passman. Don Passman uh, writes in a very easy-to-understand style. Um, people that don't like academic-sounding books, that don't like uh, textbooks, buy this book and, and love it. And we had Don Passman as our uh, keynote one year at the Road Rally. He's such a sweet, good man. He's done huge deals for like R.E.M., the Jacksons, just about anybody who's a megastar. Um, Don Passman has done their deal. The section on publishing in this book uh, is one of the best, if not the best, maybe. Um, this book apparently got ruined in my flood. Um, this one, Music, Money, and Success by Todd and Jeff Brabeck. Um, this is the most technically advanced book on how you make money with your music that I've ever read. It's really technical. It's, uh, you know, the, the Brabecks are lawyers, so it's written. There's nothing left out, okay? They didn't miss a trick, but you really gotta really want to learn to read this book. I think everybody should have it and keep it on a shelf as a reference. Um, because there are times you're going to want to look stuff up, and they cover everything, even if the pages are mildewy from a flood that we had recently here in my office. So there you go. Remember, publisher share, writer share, 100%, 100%. Uh, also, um, the other day, uh, we turned down a listing from a library that uh, wanted to run a listing they were doing they own 100 percent of the publishing on stuff but they were doing a deal with a bigger publisher a division i believe of maybe universal and they were taking um uh all the publishing and leaving the library their only choice was to take a piece of the uh writer share and I said, you know, I know you, I like you, you're a great guy, and I know you're not doing this to rip anybody off, but I just don't want to run a listing where our members give up writer's share. And uh, so we turned them down. 
anyway, uh, there you go. I hope that helps. That was for Anthony Siragusa. Moving on now to a question from Joel Greenberg. Why sh or should I pay more attention to the listing description in the taxi listings or the references in the taxi listings? That's a great question. Why is my phone ringing off the hook in here? Do they not know I'm doing an episode of Taxi TV? Um, okay. So do, should you pay more attention to the references or should you pay more attention to the listing description? You should pay attention to both. And here's what I would do. And this is kind of what we keep in mind as we put the listings together is, first of all, we try and get as many references from the client, the person running the listing as we possibly can because they know what they're looking for. Um, surprisingly, sometimes they'll give us three references and we'll get to the third one. We just had this happen last week. We scratched our heads and went, what the hell are you thinking? This third one doesn't sound anything like the other two. doesn't even sound like it could be on a playlist. So that's the important thing to know is they're not necessarily looking for something that sounds just like these three. They're usually looking for something that sounds like it would fit on a playlist with those three. If I love... Oh, geez, I don't know. Um, Jack Johnson. Okay, singer-songwriter, laid back, kind of fun. Jack Johnson, rhythmic. Uh, and I'm a fan of Jack Johnson. Um, I might like uh, some, there's some John Mayer material that would sound like that. I'm trying to think of somebody else off the top of my head. Those would be the three examples, and people would go, all right, I get it. It's that rhythmic, kind of cool, vibey singer-songwriter. See, that's what singer-songwriters do. They vibe. Um, and you would get the idea. Then read the listing, and the listing would probably give you, you know, say, acoustic guitar-based, kind of rhythmic feeling um, with an intimate vocal, fun, emotionally upbeat. So one supports the other. The, the verbiage in the listings, we try really hard to support what the examples reference. Um, it's fairly rare that they want stuff that sounds just like the references. As a matter of fact, they would be kind of thieves if they said, you know, make it like that, but don't make it like that. Now, people in the industry do that, but we don't like to get engaged in that. Jeez, phones are ringing off the hook today. Ever since we had the power outage a few weeks ago, my phone needs to be reprogrammed, so calls are coming through here. Um, okay, so... Uh, Paulie says, and often the screeners don't listen to the alas, which bugs me. You don't know that, Paulie. Don't say what you don't know. Uh, the screeners, they do listen to the alas. They may not, you may not think so, but they do. I can't guarantee it with 100%, but look, they they go out in the room, they sit down, they put on the headphones, and they do. They sit down, they look at the listing, they listen to the alas, but sometimes the alas that we're given, uh, we we we'll reach back out to the companies and go, are you sure about that? Because you've specified this particular genre and that third Allah, not only does it not sound like it would be on a playlist with the other two, but it's not even loosely in the same genre, especially with advertising stuff. They will drive us nuts like that. So more often than not, the, you know, it's, comes from the industry, and we push them hard, by the way. Um, when people run listings with us, if we see stuff that's incongruous, we push about as hard as we can push before we piss them off to the level where they won't run any more listings with us. So there's a fine line that we got to walk. Um, but that's the deal is, you know what? Don't skin the listing and don't focus on one word. 
people will see a word like uh, a phrase, intimate vocal, and they go, I got a song with an intimate vocal, but they completely ignore the fact that they were looking for songs about um, the early days of a relationship, love in bloom, new love, found love. And they send something with an intimate vocal about when their grandmother passed away. It's an intimate vocal, but it's not the kind of song they wanted. So you got to read the whole listing. And I would recommend that skim the listings. And when you see stuff that lights you up, then go back and read it a couple of times. Listen to the three references and go, okay, what are the things they have in common? They all have an intimate vocal. They're all about happy subject matter. They're all kind of emotionally upbeat feeling. They all have a rhythmic vibe to them. And make a list of that on paper. And before you know it, you've basically got a prescription that gets you focused on what it is they want. So thank you, Joel Greenberg, for that one. And now we're moving on to a question from Andres, Andres Chavez. Um, this was in the comment section of our YouTube. Um, should I register an instrumental cue with BMI before sending it to music libraries? Should I register an instrumental cue with BMI before sending it to music libraries? Um, I would say that most of our most successful members in the instrumental cue for TV world um, don't register stuff because they know that very often it's going to be registered by the libraries they work with. Some do, some don't. I can't give you an absolute, I'm not a lawyer, I'm not a publisher, I can't get, you know, all of that stuff. I can't give you legal advice, but I would say my personal observation is that many of our more accomplished and professional um, composers don't register the stuff because um, uh, until library picks up because it may be retitled, especially if they're going to put it in four or five non-exclusive libraries. Um, so at some point they register it. Certainly when it gets picked up, a uh, library is going to register whatever title they're putting it under. And yeah, you won't get paid if it's not registered with your performing rights organization, your PRO. You will not get paid for performances. So at some point, you do need to register it. The question is under which title and at what point. But yes, the minute that it goes into somebody's catalog, it could be pitched and picked up tomorrow for a sh by a show. You want to have uh, your PRO information so that it can make it to the cue sheet and get you paid. So there's a, a little bit of a fuzzy answer on that. Um, here's one, let's see, oh, I made a note. I can't remember if I saw this on our forum or in the comments section below one of our taxi TV posts on YouTube. The question is, I don't know who, who gave it to me because I just added it to my ongoing list. Um, why did Taxi quit sending the big batches of new industry listings out on the 1st and 15th of every month? We did it because we've been wanting to do it for over two years and we just couldn't find a good time to do it. It was, we knew that when we did it, we would see a dip in listings. Here's how things go at Taxi, is we would build up a batch of listings, um, typically 30, 35, 37, 40 listings at a time, and then we would write them all up, proof them, um, and then push them out live on the first of the month and the 15th of the month. So we always had this kind of mission to fill a bucket with a bunch of listings and then push it out. And the, the list, the total list of listings would grow by somewhere between 30 and 40 listings every two weeks. 
then we would get listings pretty much every day of the week. We get new listings that just come in from people that need stuff. Um, and then we send out uh, what we called our daily specials. Now, the ultimate result was about, give or take a few here or there, but you know, sometimes 102, sometimes 97, but about 100 listings that cycle through in any given month of the year was the net result. Okay, so about 100 listings in any given month. Well, we realized a couple of years ago that if, uh, because things started moving quicker in the industry, that if a music supervisor or a publisher um, that wanted to pitch something to a specific show uh, called us uh, and gave us something on, let's say, March 3rd and then we didn't put it out until the 15th. It laid there like a lox in that virtual bucket um, for 12 days. Now, sometimes we could get it out the door as one of our daily specials, but sometimes we already had enough specials that we couldn't put out two new specials in a day because that just wasn't the way we did things. And we got very locked into doing things the same old way. Um, it was a big deal and we started sending out those daily emails and then we realized people were getting kind of confused by the fact that, well, what's the difference between those big batches of listings you send out on the 15th in the daily specials and people quit looking at the big batches. We saw, we can see how many people are opening the emails and that was the final turn of the screw was a couple of years ago we saw that the number of people who opened up the big batches of listings on the first and the 15th had gone down considerably yet the daily uh, emails were being read uh, voraciously so we decided to just publish the stuff because that's the way the internet works we could publish it as soon as we get it within reason. I mean, sometimes we get something at 4.30 p.m. on a Monday afternoon and it ends up not going out until Wednesday morning because we've already got our things slated for Tuesday. Sometimes if it's really important, has a really short deadline, we might send out two things on Tuesday. The bottom line is it's going out a lot faster. Nothing is laying in the bucket anymore, virtual bucket, sitting there for a week or two waiting to go out the door. That saves us time on the back end as far as getting it to the industry people. When I first started Taxi, 100% of the listings were for um, record labels and publishers. And I would reach out to them and say, what are you looking for? And they'd say, well, you know, I'd love it if I could find a um, uh, classic rock band. Uh, I would love it if I could find a song for Celine Dion. And it was rare, with the exception of Nashville, that people were in much of a hurry. And I'd say, can I run that listing, put it out there for 30 or 60 days? Sure, because, you know, I don't think this artist is going back in the studio for another six months. So, yeah, see what you can find. So they would do that. Uh, we would do that. And uh, then we found out that people were forgetting that they ran the listing with taxi they forgot the fact that they sent us an email or said yes on a phone call to sure go ahead and run that because from the time that we ran it let's say it was 45 days and then we took a week to 10 days to screen it um you know it could be 55 days from the point of i need it to the point of, you got it and they would forget about it even though they didn't need it any sooner because the artist wasn't making a record for six months and they were just casually looking but not casually like eh, maybe i'll find something maybe i won't they they weren't under time pressure 
So that's why we started doing things the way we do it. And we knew that when we started doing it, we would see a dip because what we didn't have was a big bucket of stuff saved up to fill the bucket up. So imagine that it's a bucket and we've got a hole in the bottom. And every time a drop of water falls out the bottom, that is a new listing that's going out to you guys. And every day we're getting new listings that are coming in. And thank God we're getting stuff coming in a little faster than it's dripping out the bottom. So you're starting to see um, the bucket fill back up. So that's where we're in right now is a period where the bucket's not as full as it normally would be because we're not dumping in 35 new listings. So hopefully that answers that. It's really not that complicated, but I tried my best to make it sound complicated. Um, oh, why didn't you tell us that we can now mark listings as favorites and get reminders? I did. But look, the bottom line is we know when we send out an email, somewhere around 25 to 35% of our members are going to open that email. Nobody gets 100% opens on their emails. Very few people, unless you say giving away a free car, uh, and it's from a Mercedes email address, are you going to get, or maybe even a Lamborghini email address, um, are you going to get 100% opens? So we did send that information out. And it's just a little change, but an important change that we made probably two or three weeks ago. Um, we are constantly making incremental changes now. Um, so yes, you can mark a listing as a favorite. And then... Um, I think it's set up to send you a notice when the deadline is a week away and when the deadline is either 24 or 48 hours away. So uh, there you go. Um, we did tell everybody we hope you like that uh, feature because, frankly, we waited too damn long to do it. Um, What's the difference? Uh, this one was a comment under a YouTube video. Uh, what's the difference between an instrumental cue and an instrumental? I'm going to try and keep this short because I know I've recently discussed this. I think I talked about it with Matt Hurt. An instrumental cue is a style of writing an instrumental. Generally speaking, short to no intro. Um, it could be an A section, just the same piece of music over and over and over, same motif from top to bottom, beginning to end. Um, maybe it'll have a B section, which is a little bit like a bridge or a chorus that breaks it up, but doesn't change the, the mood or the emotion. So a cue basically is something you would hear more frequently, I would say, in reality TV, and it's written to have an arc. It starts you out, builds up, builds up, drops it back down, builds it back up, builds it back up, and boom, we're out with a big finish on a buttoned or sting ending, okay? Now, an instrumental. Let's say that we're doing a documentary about hunting for coca fields in the mountains of Peru, I guess. And we're out there with the Peruvian army with their machetes and their helicopters and their M16s. We're hunting for the bad guys that are growing these plants. And we've got a three minute and 10 second section of guys hacking their way through the bush with their machetes looking for the bad guys and looking for these fields of plants 
in that case, you may not want it to be a cue. You may want um, Peruvian music that is, what do they call it, uh, not endemic, uh, certainly authentic to the region. You know, Peruvian pan flute music, maybe something that sounds authentically Peruvian. And you don't want it to have that same kind of arc that you would if you were doing a, a TV commercial, maybe, or a scene like, you know, um, oh, the Kardashians go to Peru, you know, and they get off the plane, their private jet, of course, uh, at the Peruvian airport. Um, you would use a cue for that. But for something that's a longer scene or a certain type of show, like a travelogue, is more likely um, in some scenes to use instrumentals than in other scenes where they would use a cue. There are some scenes where you could use either or, where it's just giving a little flavor. Um, you want to establish a location. Um, here we are getting off the plane in Peru and you may only need four and a half seconds. Really doesn't matter if that four and a half seconds comes from a cue or if it comes from an instrumental. And sometimes instrumentals are derived, they're a mix minus vocal from a Peruvian song, let's say, but you mute the vocal track. Now, sometimes that can be dangerous because when you mute the vocal track, you make it sound like a rhythm track with no vocal. So then people say, well, why don't I just add back the melody that the vocal did and I'll use a Peruvian pan flute to play that melody. And that is because when you do, it's gonna sound like 101 flutes, um, making a joke on 101 strings there, but you probably don't wanna go back in with the full melody that you would have done on the vocal, but maybe just hit one out of four notes, just little flourishes, just to give it a little interest and a little melody, uh, a mini melody, if you will, that moves it along and gives it something other than just the rhythm track feel. There are other types of things where just a mix minus vocal could work fine. So hopefully that clears it up. Just think of a cue has a different job than an instrumental, sometimes and then sometimes they can both do the same job but a cue has more movement has an arc to it and is generally short um oh this one is kind of similar or at least in the same ballpark does taxi or the company requesting the music decide the length of what is being asked for um we always ask the companies that are running listings with us. I mean, not a record company uh, and not a publisher that's publishing music that would be pitched to artists on major labels. But for people in film and TV, we ask them, how long do you want it to be? Especially when it's a library. Um, and you'd be surprised how many people really hadn't thought about that. They go, nah, I don't know, 90 seconds. And we'll say, okay, but we were looking at, at your catalog and, and almost everything in there is like two, two and a half minutes. Yeah, that's true. All right, make it two minutes. So that is very often the conversation that's had. Um, so we go by what they've done in the past with us, but we will double check with them to see if they want to update the information. Um, put it this way. If they've got a scene, if they're pitching a piece of instrumental music, if they're pitching an instrumental cue for a scene and the scene is 17 seconds long, and your cue is only 14 seconds long, then the editor, the video editor most likely, is gonna have to take that 14 second cue and find a way to loop a little section to make it long enough where it now covers the entire video, that section, that entire video edit. 
or they could just go get a longer piece because it's always easier to shorten than it is to lengthen so better to go fat than skinny is my personal advice for rule of thumb and you'll notice in a lot of listings we say give or take um, we've been pushing the screeners a little bit because we've seen some people say you know I got returned by a screener because the listing said your instrumental should be about two minutes long somebody sent something that was two minutes and 12 seconds the screener said I'm sorry that's too long so not only are we trying to get the members to use common sense we are going back to the screeners and saying ladies and gentlemen please use common sense when screening if you hear and this is exactly what we told them in an email the other day if you hear a piece of great music and it's longer than what the library asked for we still want the library to hear it now common sense would tell you if it's a five minute and 45 second piece we're not going to send that to the library because they would think those people at taxi are idiots and we don't want them to think that we're idiots but if they normally look for stuff that's about two minutes and if this thing is two minutes and 26 seconds we're going to send it so there you go uh, and generally speaking the company gets to determine uh, the length we don't do it for them but we ask them um, what determines this was found on the taxi form in the listing section uh, what determines the headline uh, I mean the deadline can't read my own typing what determines the deadline uh, on each industry listing we ask the people on the receiving end when do you need it in hand really really important when do you need it in hand then we kind of back out the timeline so we try to allow sometimes if it's something really unusual like um, Russian jazz with balalaikas we know we're not going to get a ton of submissions for that and we know that we can probably bang out the screening in a few hours on that one so on that one if we know that they need it in hand on March 28th we may deadline it on March 25th or 26th knowing we can turn it around quickly because there won't be a lot of volume if it's a uh, up-tempo emotionally upbeat happy clappy singer-songwriter thing with a ukulele for a TV commercial that pays $38,000 we're gonna probably get somewhere between 150 and 500 submissions for something like that um, there have been rare occasions where we've gotten like 800 submissions for stuff like that but let's say more likely in the 150 to 500 range let's, let's call it 300 <laughs> let's just call it 300 so we know that with 300 things to screen we then look at our list we we do it like a baseball team where we've got people listed by their expertise uh, and just because somebody can do singer-songwriter for a label doesn't mean they can do singer-songwriter for film and TV it can be two very different things so we put the singer-songwriter film and TV people on that listing and we go look at that we've got three people who are well qualified and available the week before so we will back time the deadline if somebody needs it in hand by April 15th then we will deadline it for April 7th knowing that if we have to if the, if the bucket is filling up um, pretty quickly and we can see a lot of momentum on the inbound submissions for that we may start screening in advance of the deadline date that we publish so for something that's got to be in the hands of the industry by April 15th and we anticipate a pretty robust number of submissions we may deadline it a week before let's call it uh, 
what is it, April 15th? Uh, so April 8th. Well, let's call it April 7th is the deadline. So we may actually start screening on April 5th, 6th, 7th, and then really jump into it once we know the definitive number, once all submissions are in. And rarely do we ever miss the deadline on getting it to the industry. Now, sometimes we've had problems where somebody has run a listing. We just had a couple of these not long ago um, where we had a music supervisor that was running some listings and he called up and said you know what uh i've got a week off uh i'll screen some of the stuff um and he started screening it and then got on some other job or had to go fix something on the current show or i think it was a show that he was working on and so he didn't bother to tell us he was working remotely and all of a sudden he just dried up and two days later we went holy crap the bucket is still half full. So then we had to reach out to this person, wait for him to call us back, um, which wasn't an immediate phone call. And then um, we had to get permission from him to go back to the original screeners assigned to it, and then he would hear the stuff that was forwarded. So things like that cause hiccups, but we get it in the hands of the people. They determine the deadline that they need it in hand. Um, what genre of music do you listen to at home, Michael? Um, honestly, I don't listen to a lot of music at home. Music is work for me. Um, I don't listen to a lot of music in my car. Um, sadly, somewhere in the mid-70s, music became work to me because I can't listen to music without hearing. I would have used a different kick drum or the hi-hat is too busy there. The vocal's too far back in the mix. I'm constantly analyzing. I will tell you that I drive my family pretty well nuts watching TV. They do not like me to have the remote in my hand because the, the pause button um, on the remote is my friend because I'm constant and the rewind button because I'm constantly going, did you hear that cue? And I will rewind and make my family, uh, most times it's just my wife and I watching and, and it's like, dear God, Michael, can't I just watch the damn show? But no, I've got to roll it back and play her the cue and go, I think that was a taxi member music. Or did you notice how they juxtaposed, you know, comedic music in a serious scene? Any little thing that I notice, that's what I'm doing. I'm always studying whether I want to or not. So therefore, I don't listen to a lot of music recreationally. And someday when I retire, I promise that I will once again listen to music, hopefully from a recreational music lover standpoint because that is truly what got me into the business i think all of us who are in the business would have that in common um i will tell you that in my car i have a classical station which i use to calm myself down um and a classic rock station a country station um i don't know power 103 or whatever it is the you know the, the big la pop station um and a jazz station. So I've got a little bit of everything, you know, on my presets in my car. Um, where did I leave off? Um, this one's from Anonymous. I have some of my music in a library that told me that Taxi won't run listings for them. How does Taxi choose which companies it works with? Uh, the bottom line is, can this company make money for our members that we forward to them? Are they real enough to do that? Um, we want to see um, 
we've had members get really pissed off because we've run listings for companies that didn't have a website and the members get forwarded and then they get reached out to by the company and then they want to research the company and they call us up and go dear god you forwarded me to somebody that doesn't even have a website guess what there are a lot of people out there that don't want to have a website because they don't want to be contacted because they would have a pathetic life like i do which is answering emails from 6 15 in the morning until nine o'clock or so when i get ready to go to work and then you know after dinner at night until probably 11 12 1 a.m i was up till 2 30 in the morning i think on saturday night um answering emails and i know i've still got one in there from some of the people that are in the chat room right now um so they don't have websites because they're too busy working and if we know that they've got a very credible history they've been in the business for a long time they've got a lot of placements they've had a lot of hits in one capacity or another go on the taxi website and um uh, on the top nav bar uh, near the top of the page there's a thing that says need music and it lays out pretty damn nicely what it is you have to be in the industry in order to run a listing with taxi so we will turn listings away for instance this gentleman the other day who's a lovely person um, he's a taxi member many of our members know him but he wanted to do a deal where they were going to give up some rider share and it killed me to have to turn the guy away because I know he's an honest guy. I know he gets a lot of placements for his own music and he can't satisfy the need that's coming his way from this big behemoth mothership library. But the only way for him to make money and for the behemoth mothership library to make money was to take some of the writer share from the taxi members who would be submitting. He felt guilty asking and I, I just couldn't drop the bar that low. So that's just one example of reasons that we turn away um, companies you know, that we won't work with. Just one example. Um, what's the difference between a music placement? This one's from Julie Royster. Uh, what's the difference between a music placement and licensing your music in a TV show? So what's the difference? This is a little tricky. What's the difference between a music placement and licensing your music in a TV show? one answer could be there really isn't a difference license you license your music for placement in a tv show um it's really kind of the vernacular to say um i got a placement in this tv show well in order to get that placement you had to license your music unless you even if you donated it which you shouldn't <laughs> you would be doing a gratis license um so you are always licensing your music and you know i'm still trying to figure out because there is one company out there that um and don't mention this in the chat room but there, there there's one company out there that i know does something similar to what we do at taxi and i've got many friends uh who have gotten checks from this company but the check comes from the company it's a, a listing company um not unlike taxi um and, and the check comes from the company so it'd be like getting a check from taxi for a thousand or fifteen hundred bucks saying yeah your music got used but uh, i have not had one example and i've talked to probably 10 different people over the last three years that have had gotten checks from this company but yet they've never signed a license agreement one person said to me oh well the company says in their terms and conditions that you grant them a non-exclusive license um 
I looked at their term ding, terms and conditions, and I had a music attorney friend of mine look at it and went, what? What are they talking about? So the bottom line is anytime your music gets placed in a show or a TV commercial on anything, you are always signing a license. It could just be a few little sentences or a paragraph that says, I, John Doe, agree to license my song, May Ships Float, um, you know, for the TV show Pirates of the Caribbean 27 um, for $500 signed, dated. And it'll probably say something like, you know, for all media in the known universe, blah, 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 blah. But it's a very simple agreement. It's not a contract generally that would need an attorney to look at it. It's just a granting of rights and saying you get X amount of money, I get X amount of money as the writer creator to license the master recording and the the copyright uh, or the composition contained therein to you to use in this capacity. So placement, licensing, uh, used in the same sentence, they don't always necessarily mean exactly the same thing, but they are kind of synonymous. Um, where am I? I'm a singer-songwriter. This is from Tammy Legrand. I'm a singer-songwriter and want to know, is it better to sign a record deal with an independent label or on a major label, that, or should I not sign a record deal at all and just use social media to create my own audience? Well, that's certainly more than I can handle in just the context of answering questions on the show, but I will tell you that major labels still bring a lot to bear for people. Um, they've got marketing divisions, radio, uh, people that go out and make sure your stuff gets played on radio, um, people that do marketing set up all over the country to coordinate with concerts and everything. Ultimately, a major label um, will probably offer you a 360 deal, meaning that they will partake in every aspect of your um, financial career. Any money that you make with your music, they're gonna get a piece of to varying degrees for X amount of releases. And uh, in exchange for that, they're gonna bring their resources to bear. Um, their network of people, their expertise, their financial backing, they essentially act like a bank. And ultimately your goal and their goal, the, the mutual goal is to make you a household word so that you can get butts in seats at huge concerts because that's where probably the biggest amount of money is made these days is in touring. Um, it could happen on an indie label and there's something to be said for signing with an indie label because uh, the common thinking is an indie label has far fewer people on their roster, therefore I'm gonna get more attention and you probably will. But they also have a much smaller budget to work with. Then again, you could say that an indie label with a really entrepreneurial um, CEO, and it might be an, an indie label with only one person running it out of a garage or a bedroom. But if that person is somebody who really believes in what you do and has a ton of social media chops and all kinds of other great things going for them, you may want to sign with that person and hope that they can get to a level where a major label comes knocking on the indie label's door and says, we would like to upstream this artist. So we are going to buy into that contract or buy you out of that contract. Uh, and then the major label takes over and pours jet fuel on that fire to make it go whoosh and turn into a, an artist that can fill stadiums someday. Um, there have been artists. There, there are 
not many, not hundreds, but probably a couple dozen artists, maybe more, out there that have done stuff on that kind of level using social media. But I got to tell you, you can't just set up a Facebook page. You can't just set up a Twitter account and a Snapchat account uh, and uh, yeah, and just open up three, four, five different social media accounts and spend a half an hour to an hour a day um, posting, you know, on your wall from your phone while you're at work and think that it's going to blow up. It's probably not. The odds are so dramatically against that happening that it's not funny. Um, the people who it happens for are people that have the same work ethic. I, I wrote an article about this in the newsletter recently. They are generally the same people that have the same work ethic that the would have gotten them a major label deal. Um, they're people that live it and breathe it and work 12, 15, 18 hours a day at it for a very long period of time and they use the tools that are now out there that allegedly level the playing field and they do if you're the kind of person that will use the tools well. But if you're the kind of person that wants to spend your day sitting around the house, you know, taking a hit off the bong, eating brownies and writing the occasional song, and you think you're a friggin' genius, and by having a uh, posting like, check out my latest tune on your wall, if you think that using social media like that is going to launch you into the stratosphere and turn you into Justin Bieber, you better smoke more weed and eat more brownies because you got another thing coming. Um, okay, this one is from William Cronin. Hi, Michael. When I started out recording at first, it was very experimental and I had some forwards. Now, from some experience and new knowledge, um, I now know that they can be improved on both vocally and in production until you actually get officially signed to a library. Is it okay for me to improve that song now and submit it to another listing? So yes, uh, William Cronin, the answer is yes. If you had a song called, uh, you know, um, Deep Space Thoughts, uh, and you posted that and hosted it in your taxi library and submitted it 18 months ago, and, and you've gotten feedback from the screeners, and you're going, you know what, these people are not wrong. Uh, my song needs a better structure, and it needs a better vocal approach. And, uh, you know, the, the vocal phrasing sounds like what people did in the mid-70s, because I'm 55 years old, and that's when I love music. And now I've learned from this feedback that I've gotten from the taxi screeners how to make it better, and I believe my stuff is better. Can I post the new versions, and can I submit those versions for other listings? Yes, I recommend that you do that. That's why we're here. Um, this one is from Mark Morgan Shaw. Um, why have there been so few instrumental listings during the month of March? Under the old bi-monthly system, I always found six to ten listings in my wheelhouse for my to-do pile. This month, there's only been two. They seem to have fallen off a cliff. <clears throat> Excuse me, I need got a dry throat. Thank you to our friends at Rockstar. Um, because of the switchover to the daily listing updates. I think I checked this morning, we only had five listings um, currently in the instrumental section. So yes, we experienced a bit of a dip and we're starting to see the buckets fill back up now. It'll probably take another couple of weeks and things will be back to 
as many listings as we always had at one point in time. Now remember, with the old system of the 1st and 15th, by the time we got to the 12th, 13th, 14th, and 12th, 13th, and 14th of the month, a lot of stuff had drained out of the bucket. The same thing would happen around the 26th, 27th, 28th, 29th. A lot of things would drain out of the bucket, and then the bucket would get replenished on the 1st and 15th. So now we're just topping off the bucket. Um, there you go. So that explains why. Uh, and I want to add an addendum to this. I'm going to ask my own, ask and answer my own question here, which is, um, I don't see listings in a particular genre. Excuse me, there's the weekly rock star burp. Um, I should have covered my face for the burp, right, if I were polite, but I didn't. So, if I don't see stuff in my genre, if I were Michael Lasko, because I know what goes on behind the scenes at Taxi, I would go look in the instrumental section. Because within the instrumental thing, we may have Latin, we may have French, we may have country, we may have rock, we may have EDM. All these different genres are contained within the instrumental section. But people go look at rock and just expect all the rock stuff to be there. Um, we could double list them, but we tried that years ago. And people went, oh, you guys are padding. You're trying to make it look like you got more listings than you actually got. And we don't want people to think we're trying to pull the wool over anybody's eyes. So we quit doing that. But yeah, frankly, I think that's probably the smarter way to go, which is if we've got a rock instrumental listing, it should go under a rock and it should go under instrumental. The problem is some members will end up submitting to it twice because it's in two places. So we're just always a little stumped by what to do with that. Um, so thank you for that question, Mark Morgan Shaw. Here's one from Hunter Mariano. Hi, Michael. Do composers for popular TV shows, uh, e.g. Game of Thrones, Walking Dead, generally receive royalties on their compositions? Um, I'm asking because I know of someone who works for a very well-known business composing music for their productions, TV shows and games, while receiving a large salary, but no back end on the placements. I understand all situations may vary, but this, but is this common amongst hired composers for television? Um, you know what? This takes us back to the publisher's share and the writer's share. I'm so glad I had this visual aid. It's funny, it's got makeup on the back of the plate now because I put makeup on my nose. Didn't want it to be shiny. Um, if they're paying you as a work for hire, this person that, that uh, Hunter is talking about, if this person who's working for the large corporation um, writes something for them as a work for hire, uh, they pay, let's say they're paying the person a, a salary of 100,000 bucks a year and that they have to turn in 20 instrumentals in a week. I'm just pulling these numbers out of thin air. Um, the company could then say, we own uh, the copyright on those things. But technically, the writer should still keep the writer's share. Now, I do know of a company or two um, that pay people to be staff composers, and people don't like them a lot, and they call them bad names behind their back and sometimes to their face because... They pay you an annual salary and they get the writer's share, I mean the publisher, publisher's share and the writer's share. 
Um, but the people that work for them, as much as they walk out of there going rah, 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 grumble, grumble, grumble about not liking their jobs, they don't quit the jobs because as a musician, as a composer, they are pretty damn thrilled to have a nice steady income with health insurance from this mothership behemoth-sized corporation. So they do it by choice and for reasons that are good for them. But yes, I do know of situations where people get paid money, a pretty nice salary, and they give up all rights to everything. Personally, I don't like it. Um, I'm not going to mention any company names. Uh, Charlie Himes writes, I notice while uploading a song, there's a category for Christian. However, when you go to search a category to submit, Christian is not listed. Is that because there are no Christian listings or because they got rolled into other categories? Um, that's because there are no Christian listings. A category un under the new web page that we recently built, and I believe it was this way on the old web uh, website, that if there's nothing in a category, it just doesn't show up. So right now, we don't have anything Christian-wise, but you will be happy to know that before I went on the air for today's show, um, I started working on a list with my staff for country and Christian labels in Nashville. We're going to put some effort. Um, frankly, we've been so busy with these website changes and switching to the new daily format that we haven't done as much outreach as we normally would, and so therefore listings have just been coming in, but nothing has come in uh, in country or Christian for probably, I don't know, 10 days, two weeks. So uh, we will beef that up. Also, something I've never seen in the company's history prior to the last year or so is that we actually have had people that want Christian music for TV and film. I'm guessing uh, it's because of the faith-based and family-based film genre has done pretty well over the last few years. And... Uh, they need music that works well in the context of those shows. So I hope that we see more of that because, uh, you know, it, it's tough. Like getting a deal as a Christian artist is tough. Um, getting a song cut in the Christian market by a Christian artist that's on one of the big Christian labels, that's tough. Um, not impossible. And new writers do have to come from somewhere. You know, people that find themselves saying, oh, it's too hard to break in. Well, everybody who is in was you at some point. Think about that. Everybody who is a successful hit songwriter or a successful producer or a successful composer, anybody who was successful is successful at any aspect of the music industry. They were not born successful. Chances are they didn't pop out of their mommy's tummy um, gifted. There are very few people who are born gifted. Um, and most people had to earn it, and they started out just like you, and they earned it. We don't blow smoke around here. We don't tell you, oh, yeah, you're going to make 100 grand a year. We tell you that we have members that are making 100 grand a year or more, um, and it took them five years, seven years, or 10 years, but they got there. And we will tell you that they will continue to make those six-figure incomes for many years into the future and probably retire well from it, but it's not going to happen without the work. You need the knowledge and the work, okay? Got to have those things. Work ethic, I mean. Um, this one is from Austin Poole. Um, I know we can go in and upload different slash newer slash improved mixes of our songs being hosted, hopefully before the screener gets to it. My question is, how soon after the screener listens 
to my submission do I receive my forward or return or critique notice? Uh, like, is it immediately sent after it's heard, or do they wait until all submissions are screened and then send out batch notifications? Yes, we send it out, and the reason uh, as a batch when everything has been screened, and, and that's why sometimes we get held up where we could be 97% done with something, and if we're allowing the music supervisor, or we've had cases where we've had music coordinators on really big TV shows that have been able to screen some stuff for us for the actual show they're working on, and then they get called into work a weekend because something melted down with a particular license and they're unavailable and it holds up the process for everybody. And you would think, well, geez, why don't you let the people who are getting forwarded, who you already know are getting forwarded, why not let them know? Uh, the reason is because if we do it as it happens, then everybody else just assumes Oh, geez, I heard from Tommy on the forum said he got forwarded for this listing. I haven't heard anything, so I guess I'm not. Um, not true. Um, so that's why we wait. And, you know, sometimes there's a glitch. We actually go back and double check our work, and even though we're pretty fastidious about that, we make mistakes. There are times where a screener will write in the, the um, critique, great job, Bob, this song's getting forwarded, and then they click the return button. And so we go back and we double check that stuff uh, before we send it out to you guys and to the industry. And I'll tell you what, the phones around here for the last two years have been much quieter than they have been in the previous 23 years. Since we started double checking that kind of stuff and it was instituted by a gentleman named Tom Stillwagon who um, has worked at Taxi twice in his career and he still comes back and works at the road rallies. I wouldn't be surprised if he comes back and joins us for something in the future. Tom Stillwagon came up with a system whereby we can double check all that stuff and it eliminated probably 60 to 70 percent of our customer service calls. So good on you Tom Stillwagon. Um, Rex Colwell wants to know um, this is a taxi TV question. Are the lack of country genre listings with taxi just part of the natural ebb and flow? Yeah, I kind of answered that already. Um, the answer is yes, all genres ebb and flow. I remember three, four years ago, we were getting no instrumental listings. And I had to go out and convince the libraries, you guys are missing the boat because you have your nose in the air and your head up your patootie thinking that you guys are only going to pitch really cool songs to get, get in the montages at the end of Grey's Anatomy and what have you. Uh, and you're ignoring the fact that there are some libraries out there doing a lot of instrumental stuff um, for no sync fees that are making a ton of money on the back end. And finally, one day they all woke up and now they're all looking for instrumental stuff. So yes, it ebbs and flows. Orchestral is another example I've used where they're, oh, we've got tons of great orchestral recorded with, you know, the... Um, Czech orchestra or whatever, uh, the Prague Symphony Orchestra. Well, yes, you do, but it sounds like material from 17 years ago. It sounds dated. It doesn't have any synths in it. It doesn't have any guitars in it. It doesn't have any cool beats in it. So they had to update that stuff, which a lot of libraries are going through now. So ebbs and flows are found in all styles of music. Country in particular right now in taxi is because we've been busy dealing with this changeover for, for the last two weeks and we haven't been as proactive in reaching out as we should have been or could have been. Um, so that reach out start or outreach starts tomorrow. So you should see those genre that genre pick up. 
Lamar Franklin writes, by the way, Michael, thank you very much for all you do and what your staff does for us taxi members, your taxi family. Thank you very much, Lamar. And he says, Michael, when a listing states the minimum of two minutes, what is too lengthy? Two and a half minutes, three minutes. I addressed this at the top of the show, but really quickly I'll, re I'll recap, which is always better to go a little long than short because it's just easier for the editors and reality shows specifically, which is where a lot of instrumental music gets used. And we have recently, as recently as like Thursday of last week, sent out an email to all screeners saying, look, you guys, don't bust people. If the listing says about two minutes long, give or take, and don't kick them back if they send in something that's two minutes and 37 seconds. Now, your music might not be good enough or on target for that listing, so, um, they might also, and I underline the word also, they might also be mentioning that it was too long. But look in that box that says the reason you weren't forwarded for this listing is because. So it may be that you weren't on target or, you know, it had really crummy synth sounds or the strings didn't sound like real strings or myriad of other reasons. And they mentioned that it was really long. But if the screeners are now being retold, re-instructed, re-informed that if they hear a piece of music that is awesome and should be forwarded and it's a little long, forward it. Now, what's a little long? If it's two minutes and it's two minutes and 37 seconds, I would forward that. If it's four minutes and 37 seconds and they say about two minutes, not so inclined. So there you go, it's a judgment call. Um, Sheldon Gardner wants to know, what happens if a song of mine is forwarded and then I find out that my collaborator on it has passed away and I can't find the relatives? Honestly, I, I don't know. I, I don't know the answer to that. Um, a music attorney would be a better person to ask that question of. You, I'm guessing, and this is only a guess, I'm not an attorney, but I'm guessing that you have to do something equivalent to best effort. You have to like file some sort of public notice in the last place, last known town that that person resided in, um, maybe hire a private detective or do something, I don't know. Um, but you know what, we are gonna have a music attorney. Um, Aaron Jacobson is gonna join us. Crap, I still owe her an email. Um, when she's on the show, you need to ask that question again, Sheldon. Um, Larry Maggi says, Michael, I've had 192 forwards in a little over two years. That's good. The screener's feedback is so, with many O's, helpful. The 192 forwards led to six callbacks from new libraries. That's good. Um, only six out of 192 seems low to me, but I'm going to keep plugging away. I've heard similar results from other members. I suspect that sometimes the library might not be listening to all the taxi forwards they receive. Do you have a follow-up procedure in place to check and see if a library received the forwards and if they liked what they heard? Thanks for the great work. Taxi is at the top of my all-time most admired companies list. Well, thank you very much for that, Larry. Um, I, we like being admired and we really appreciate that. Um, we follow up if we don't see somebody download music that we send them in a reasonable amount of time we'll follow up with an email and or a phone call um, if they are persistently not opening something up we'll reach out to them and go wtf 
you ran the listing, we worked our butts off to find you the music, and now it's just laying there like a locks. Sometimes it happens that the project they were working on evaporated. Uh, it does happen. We can't guarantee that won't happen. Could be that the scene got edited out of the show. Could be that the ad agency's client decided uh, not to do a commercial for a beer with a bunch of horses prancing around in deep snow at Christmas time. They decided to go with uh, Santa Claus on a surfboard in the Bahamas instead. So they need different music now. And so they didn't even bother to open it up because what's the point? Doesn't happen very often, but it does happen. Um, now, as far as getting forwarded 192 times over two years, I would assume that some of those are, you could have two, three, four forwards on a single listing all going to one library. So that alone would knock it right down to, you know, let's assume it's like three forwards. So that brings it down to roughly um, 60. And, and it could be the different, same library, different listings. A lot of things at play. It's hard for me to give you a really great answer on this other than to say that if you've been reached out to already by six, I'm sure that there are more that are coming. I've, as I've explained on other shows, they often work in batches, compilations, if you will, where they run a listing with Taxi and they say, I'm looking for, um, I'm going to call it New Age, which is something they don't look for often. Say they're looking for New Age stuff because they know that they need to put out a new New Age um, compilation, if you will. It's rare that they're physical CDs anymore, but think of it like a CD with 10, 12, 20 different pieces that are all in a genre. And then they send out uh, an alert to all their customers and anybody else they can in the industry. We've got a new New Age collection that you need to hear. Um, so they may run a listing with Taxi, let's say in March of 2017, and say, we want New Age. And we get in 138 submissions and we find them 19 that are on target. We send them the 19. They go, great, there's that thing and it's sitting in my box. And then they reach out to other resources. They probably reach out to composers that are already in their library. They may reach out to a new, uh, like an indie new age record label and say, we'd like to um, license stuff from some, you know, some of the stuff on your label. Um, do you publish it as well as own the masters or can you hook us up with the, uh, the writers so we can find out? So can we publish the master from you and the composition from them? So they go through all these different steps and then finally, nine months later, they feel like they've got the stuff definitively chosen for that new age release. And that's when they finally reach out to the people on the taxi list and go, okay, we like you, 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 and you, and here's the contract, do you want to sign it? So that's just one example of why things take so long. It happens. Um, the fact that you've been reached out, I like that you said only six. Um, I mean, now you're with six different publishers, assuming that you signed the deal, six different publishers that presumably you weren't with before, right? So that's a pretty big deal. Um, and again, like I said, multiple forwards to the same company, um, probably for the same listing in many cases. You know, something that I'm going to interject a, a Q&A here. Um, sometimes people will send in three, four, five, six submissions for the same listing, um, all in the same genre, all in the same style, because they've got a lot of it. Uh, 
and they get a little upset, sometimes very upset, that we only forwarded three of them. Why did you guys forward those three and not the other two? What were you thinking, Taxi? It's all from the same guy. It's all for the same pitch. Because the screener may have thought that examples are, are you know, tracks number three or, or four and five out of five. So number one was good enough. Should They should hear it. Number two, they're definitely going to want to hear that. Number three, they're definitely going to want to hear that. And the other two are a little farther outside of the genre or they're not as strong as the other ones. Now, they could hear, this is the big reason, they could hear the fifth one that's the least strong of the bunch first, even though we will try and put things in an order, you know, like best first, um, we can't guarantee that we do that every single time. We can't guarantee that they're not going to, I get stuff from people and I'll go in and cherry pick based on titles. And they could do that, and they could hear your number five, which isn't your best work. And all of a sudden, they've decided that Michael Lasko's piece of, you know, number five, not that good. They don't go listen to the other four. So we try to prevent them from doing that. Not that we've ever given an absolute dictum to the screeners and said, this is how you need to think on that. But when we've asked screeners, why didn't you forward these other two? Well, they weren't as strong as the other ones, and I didn't want to give a bad impression. So there you go. Common sense. We hope that the screeners are always operating with common sense. We hope that you guys are always operating with common sense. As a company, we try to operate all the time using our best ability to uh, you know, use common sense. Common sense goes a really long way, and that's why people like Larry Maggi say the taxi is at the top of my all-time most admired companies list. Thank you. I thank you from the bottom of my heart because you guys probably know from watching the show, boy, if I could wake up and be even like 1% of what Steve Jobs was to the world, I'd be really happy. And I do try to emulate some of his ethos and I read every book I can get my hands on about the guy. Not that I want to be exactly like Steve Jobs, but I looked up to the guy. Okay, uh, last question on the list. Bob Resseter. do you know what percentage of forwarded instrumental cues get signed to libraries? No, we don't. Um, frankly, gosh, you know, people who've been watching the show for a long time know this about me. <sighs> Nobody tells, <laughs> very few people tell us about when they get signed. More importantly, they don't tell us about the, the placements they get. So let's say that Bob Resseter uh, gets his song... Um, Big Yellow Taxi, uh, forwarded to a library from Taxi in the springtime of 2015. The deal is offered in the fall of 2015. The paperwork is signed right before Christmas uh, in 2015. Okay, so now we're, boom, into January 2016, and nine months later, that song, Big Yellow Taxi, ends up getting picked for a feature film. And the feature film doesn't come out until around Christmas time of 2017, which is what, two years after the signing? Three years, I screwed up my math, but you know what I'm saying. A very long time after um, after Bob Resseter got his song into that library through Taxi. So first the forward, then some months later the signing, then some months later, many months, maybe even years later, the pitch for a particular listing uh, or request from a supervisor 
for a TV show or for a feature film, and then the film finally comes out or the TV show finally airs, and it could be a year, two years, three years, four years down the road from that original forward by Taxi. Do you think that the members ever let us know that I just had my song in a big feature film because of a forward I got from Taxi back in 2015? The answer is a big fat, probably not. Most of the time, our members don't let us know. Why? Because, and rightfully so, they are reveling in their very own glory going, look at that family and friends. My song is in this giant ass movie. My song is right up there on the big screen. I get it. They don't, you know, hey, Taxi gets paid to do what they do. They, they get paid to do a job. They did their job. I don't need to call them up and give them an attaboy or a pat on the back or tell them how wonderful they are. A very, very, very small percentage of our members will actually do that. Um, and, and same thing happens with signings. Um, I, I just got an email today from somebody that could very well, uh, a taxi, um, uh, a taxi member who owns a library and is one of the very few that I've ever taken a chance on, largely based on his professionalism and character said, okay, even though you're nobody in the world of libraries, you are credible as far as being a composer and your knowledge of the business. And I believe that you can pull this off. So I'm going to let you run listings with taxi but we're going to try it on a very short-term experimental basis. And if this thing smells like bad cheese at any moment in time, I'm going to pull the rug out from under you. And he said, okay, fair enough. So we ran a listing. Everything has been successful and it's been going on for several years now. Shortly before I went on the air with today's show, I got an email from this gentleman saying, I have 200 composers in my library and 125 of them have come from taxi. Of those 125, and I am going to ask him to send me the list, I'll bet you that less than 10%, eh, less than 20% of those people ever told me that they got signed to that library. And I'll bet you that less than 20% of that 20% ever told us when they got something placed in a TV show or even took the time to go onto the Taxi Success Story forum. So I implore you, as I've done many, many, many times before, I implore your ask. Get on the taxi form and put it out there that you've had placements and it started with a taxi listing or that you've had a placement on this TV show and it started with the relationship that you built at the road rally because of a one-to-one -one mentor situation. Put that stuff out there because you know what? 25 years of seeing people tear this company down and call us a scam because virtually every other company out there that does what we do probably is a scam or at least not operating all that ethically um it's it's frustrating it's heartbreaking because we know how hard we work to get things right around here and to do it in the best possible way and uh geez would it be too much to ask to just go on our forum and say, I got something on a TV show because of a deal I got through Taxi two years ago, three years ago, five years ago. Some people do it, but a very small percentage. So there you go. Consider yourselves implored, okay, from a guy who wears plates on his face. All right. Um, I've got three minutes left. Got any other questions? Because, man, I am so full of caffeine that I'm ready for your questions. I've only had about two-thirds of that thing for some reason. I got a little caffeine buzz. 
Um, I see Dean Turner asking, do those of you who are on Taxi Dispatch get re results faster than regular taxi listings? I would say generally they probably do. Uh, I know one thing I've noticed anecdotally, Taxi Dispatch, uh, that's a whole, I could do, you know, I should do a whole show on Taxi Dispatch. I'm not going to get into it right now, but uh, I would say by percentage, more people get deals and get placements as a result of Taxi Dispatch because we don't really advertise it or market it. It attracts a certain kind of member, which is people who are good at doing instrumental cues, um, turning them around fairly uh, quick and on a regular basis, tend to join dispatch. And the libraries, we tend to run a fair amount of listings for libraries that say, I need something for a show and this is what I'm looking for. So there you go. Um, Okay, Ken DePotter wants to know, when a track gets signed into a library, many times they'll also ask for alternative versions, a 60, a 30, stings, etc. If I have pre-made alternative versions and I mention that they're available in the lyrics comment section of the taxi submission form, would that information get forwarded to the library along with the track? No. Um, not to say that we couldn't do that. Nobody's ever asked us to. Um, generally, generally speaking, the libraries, they all have such different requirements, like, you know, do they want a WAV file or a different kind of file? Um, they want stuff tagged in a certain way because it's going into SoundMiner versus something else. That if we started including all this information, it just gets too damn confusing to keep it all correct. We'd rather let them do their own work, so let them ask you what you've got. Um, each library has its own revision requirements. Yep, Polly, you're right. Um, screeners, somebody's talking about screeners reading the listings. If it's an instrumental listing, Polly says screener do not read, screeners do not read the lyrics if it's an instrumental listing. I've asked in the past, that's a true statement. Um, question from Danny Weber. Uh, what writing advice do you have for me? I don't know, because I don't know you, Danny. Uh, to get placements with high-octane hard rock instrumentals. Um, high-octane hard rock instrumentals primarily, largely, are going to get used for sports television. Probably uh, sports where bones are being broken or have the potential to be broken. I would say um, highlight stuff, um, extreme sports. Um, that's probably the number one place it gets used, but not only. Um, I would say here, if I have a piece of advice as far as the composition goes, don't do a lot of guitar shredding in a register that is going to distract from the voiceover in the piece. So think more about rhythm guitar and kick and snare and avoid, nobody ever uses a piece. I can't say nobody in the history of the world, but hardly anybody uses a piece. Listen to that guy shred. Boy, is he an awesome guitar player. I'm gonna put that in my highlight reel this week for NFL films probably not going to use it because you know what they want you to listen to the voiceover person who's talking about the play and the players and they don't want you paying attention to the music so there's a bit of compositional advice is there is a rather sizable outlet for the kind of music you're doing and don't limit yourself to just that but stay away from anything 
that may show how incredibly talented you are, keep it simple, stupid. Kiss, you know? I don't mean I want to kiss. I mean keep it simple, stupid. That you have to create music that can be laid into something and give it the emotional impact and the gut feel that hard rock is going to do in a sports broadcast where bones are being crunched but not where the people at home are going to go, man, that guy's an awesome guitar player. Question, can you ever post the song's cues that get the forwards? It would be so helpful to the rest of us. Um, I do. Uh, we just, not all of our members, I would say probably only, if I'm guessing, 70-ish percent of our members allow their stuff to be heard publicly. So if we are going to, first of all, we do publish a list in our blog section. Okay, uh, so a list goes out pretty much every day that says this is who got forwarded their name and the song or cue title that got forwarded for a particular listing. We don't link to the music because um, then we have to go do the research. Is it public? Is it not public? But we do play stuff that's public on the shows for some of the bigger listings or stuff that our members find most intriguing. And more importantly, I think a lot of people underestimate the value of the forward section of the taxi forum at forums.forums with an S, plural, forums.taxi.com, that there are a lot of people that go in there and post, I got this forwarded. It's a badge of honor to say they got something forwarded for a particular listing. And I have heard this repeatedly for many, many years from our members that they go in there and they listen to what did get forwarded. Um, uh, James Koshin is probably the most vocal person I know about this. Uh, I think uh, Matthew Vanderbilt is another one that's very vocal about it, that they attribute a lot of their success to the fact that they've gone in and listened to the forwards from other members. Um, uh, Vicky Floweth uh, wants to know, uh, do you think the opportunities for film and TV composers are still on the upswing? Reality TV isn't going to die anytime soon. Um, I, I think so. Um, look, somebody posted something somewhere, either on the forum or in this list of questions about, aren't there just two? Oh, it was a comment in one of our YouTube uh, videos. Underneath the video, it said, don't you think that... Um, there are just too many of us doing this now that you know equipment has gotten cheap enough and you're educating so many people on how to do it um don't you think there's just too much competition uh and that the, the supply is outweighing the demand and my answer is no the demand is growing every day i'm amazed uh, by how the internet is just blowing up with all kinds of videos the, the days of regular tv shows not happening. I want you guys to all go check out a, a gentleman on YouTube. You may or may not like him. I personally like the guy. Casey, C-A-S-E-Y, Neistat, N-E-I-S-T-A-T, Casey Neistat. Um, and listen to the music that he uses in his stuff. It, it all sounds like music that Casey Neistat picked. Um, he did like 460 days worth of vlogs, daily vlogs, and had really cool, really strange, very trendy edited versions of music in his shows. And I just listened to that stuff and go, man, I never would have thought in a million years to use that kind of music for this kind of thing in that sort of way. But he did. And there are thousands of people popping up every year coming up with new ways to use music. 
Um, and the internet, uh, you know, Netflix is producing original program uh, programming now, so they need music. Um, Amazon doing original programming, they need music. So it's no longer just NBC, ABC, CBS, and Fox, and it's no longer just HBO and Showtime and the movie channel or whatever. It's just exploding. Now, with that, the prices are going down for what people are getting paid. So I think more opportunity, less money. Um, the people I know that are already doing six figures, um, they're not afraid of it going away anytime soon. And, and these are not stupid people that are short-sighted. Um, Michael, what are the libraries you talk to regularly saying, uh, this is from Polly, um, Yo Polly, uh, what are the libraries you talk to regularly saying about the industry in general these days, optimistic or concerned? Um, both. Um, they're concerned by getting undercut. The library business is not like it used to be five years ago or 10 years ago. Um, they're concerned about the fact that people are practically giving music away um, with blankets and knocking them out of contention for certain shows. They're concerned about the fact that fees are dropping somewhat precipitously. On the other hand, I spoke to somebody on Thursday of last week that said to me, and he's probably the second or third person I've spoken to, a library owner in the last week um, or so, saying business is booming in 2017. Um, and coming, and the income is coming from places they never would have expected. And I do know for a fact that libraries that used to have their heads up their patooties and only wanted to get songs out there with lyrics have now um, also started really building up their um, uh, instrumental libraries or their instrumental catalogs. That's why you do see a lot of listings through Taxi uh, because we kind of twisted their arm, made them aware of that, that they were missing the boat on that stuff. So that's what's happening is, is on one hand, there were a lot more competitors for the, the um, uh, what do you call them, source cues coming out of a jukebox, coming out of a car radio, coming out of a radio in somebody's kitchen while they're washing dishes. A lot more competition for source cues, a lot more opportunities opening up for instrumental libraries. So all of a sudden, they've got this whole other avenue. Um, So I would say some concerned about some aspects. Oh, they're also concerned about um, companies and production companies and networks building their own libraries. And I've also seen some upswing and downswing in that. People start to, you know, they have the idea they're going to build a library, then they realize they need a staff of people to run it, and they go, holy crap, you can't just have a library. You've got to run a library. Um, I'm lost now. Where were we? Uh, All right, I'm going to take one more question because we're nine minutes over. Um, <laughs> piano guitar vocal says, thank you, Michael and Taxi. Another great shoe with profound information. Uh, it's time to get my work at. I think either you, you speak like Ed Sullivan or you meant show, but thank you, piano guitar vocal. Um,
more people would collaborate if they could hear one another's music. That's why I want to do the collaboration shows. We just got to figure out a way to do it easily. I, I, I need to do everything in a simple way because I don't want to add. I already spent, you know, I spend time on Sundays getting ready for Taxi TV on Mondays. I want to be able to take a whole Sunday and go like, you know, to an orchard and pick fruit with my family or go on a picnic or go to a museum or do normal family stuff and not have to say, I've got to be home by six o'clock because I've got four hours of work that I've got to do tonight. You know, enough already. So I got to keep things simple and it's somewhat limiting. I also want to say something really profound that I may not have mentioned before, but from a small business owner's perspective, because we all live on the internet and all companies, virtually all companies have a website now, the expectation from end users, and I completely understand where this comes from, the expectation level from end users is that a little peanut company with 10 staff members like Taxi, uh, that our website should be as cool as Snapchat or Facebook or General Electric or anything else because it's all being seen on the same place. It's kind of like when people go, Look, I've got a CD. See, mine's in a case. I look like a professional person with a CD. But the music contained within um, was not done with the same resources. Well, the same thing is true. I, I was having this conversation the other night with another small business owner in the music industry. And he, too, was uh, noticing that people expect him to be able to make changes to his website on a whim. That uh, they don't understand that, you know, we don't have... Uh, I mean, a company like Uber, uh, I think I read the other day, they've got 35 people writing code, 35 people in web development uh, and, and three layers uh, of management and staff at Uber just for doing that. We've got a, a webmaster slash designer um, user interface person and somebody else that writes code and getting those two people to coordinate um, along with my schedule <laughs> is tough. And so that's why little companies um, can't always deliver what the big companies do. Um, anyway, all right. No, I've seen listings. Uh, oh, I've seen Craig Robart says, I've seen listings that state for an in-house library. What is that? That's a company that says we want to own our own music. Um, they're they're tired of paying the libraries. It scares the crap out of the libraries that that's a trend that's happening. But uh, I've seen these companies, they start the process and then realize that it's not as easy as just getting a bunch of files and, and starting a catalog, that you need people that have to make sure that um, all the back-end stuff happens. So uh, they, they sometimes say they're going to do it, and then they rethink it. Um, all right. How was the wedding, Michael? I remember I went to a wedding, I think it was last Monday, or no, two Mondays ago. Uh, we were all happy <laughs> to see you decked out and going out to enjoy yourself. I don't enjoy myself at weddings, i got to tell you. <laughs> uh, we appreciate all the time and love you give us. Well, thank you very much for that. Um, it was a big damn wedding. Uh, really nice. Uh, Polly says the tie was awesome. Thank you. I want you to know that um, my wife and I believe two out of my four daughters. So there were four of us involved in the selection of that tie. And it took 
probably 30 or 40 minutes worth of driving the poor man in the tie department crazy. But once I found the tie, I knew it was the tie. Okay, um, the food was okay. It wasn't that great. So that's it, you guys. Um, I forget what I've got on. I've got something written in the book for next week. And like I said, uh, Aaron Jacobson coming up and the whole um, taxi dating thing, you know, hooking people up musically uh, is coming up soon. So we're on it. We're getting to it. Thank you for hanging for an hour and 45 minutes with me. I hope I answered. Uh, I got to everything on the list. We will see you guys next week for another exciting episode of Taxi TV Live. Bye, you guys. Oh, I've got more claps in here somewhere. I can't find my other claps. There you go.